The Salumas podcast is a candid, often objective, and sometimes comedic approach to the human condition. We talk about anything and everything, and we keep it open, authentic, and interesting. They say that everyone loves sausage and bacon, but not everyone wants to see it get made, and that's what we're about. We take a topic and we put it through the grinder, and we try to explore as much about it as possible. We aren't afraid of things we don't understand. We aren't afraid of harsh truths, but most importantly, we are not afraid to be wrong and learn from it. Lately, we've been having our conversations over Skype, so if you have something that you're interested in talking with us about, just let us know. This is all about learning and growth, so we want to include as many people as possible and just educate others and ourselves. All right, guys, let's get to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Salimus Podcast. It's Monday, January 18th, and today we're putting yours truly into the meat grinder. Periodically, I have episodes like this when there's something about myself that I'd like to explore. If you've been listening to our other episodes, then you'll know that for the past few weeks, I've been going to therapy, and while each session allows me to let things out and grow a little, I do end up with things I'd like to talk about with the guys and then share with you all. So have you ever heard of cognitive distortions? These are exaggerated or irrational thought patterns that many of us develop that are, in many cases, negative in nature. Typically, they're connected to things like depression and anxiety, but honestly, you don't have to be depressed or anxious to have these thoughts. So if you've ever been the type to take things that have absolutely nothing to do with you personally, or maybe you make mountains out of molehills, or if you overuse should statements and say stuff like, good things should happen to me because I'm a decent person, or if you fall victim to what they call emotional reasoning, where you might say things like, I feel stupid and boring, and then you actually start to believe that you're stupid and boring, that you might suffer from things like the cognitive distortions. So we talk about a lot of things here, but the most important thing that I hope that you take with you in this episode is how I emphasize ego and how it serves as a shield as well as a set of blinders from the harsh realities or negative aspects of our lives or ourselves in general. I'm really excited for you all to hear this one. So without further ado, I present to you episode 870, Distorted. Distortions are far more interesting to me. Just putting it out there. <laughs> are they? Just some, okay. yeah, something that I do that I watch other people do. That well, all I'm right. Sure, but, but I'm just saying, I don't. It doesn't have to be. You know, no, we can totally do that. I don't want to be like on the hook for. I just rather just nope. talk. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, and let it be a little bit more natural. No, I, I dig that. The, I dig. Um, just how have you guys PDF. been? By the way, uh, I've been super, man. Been pretty good. Man, need to exercise more, dude. I'm about to turn into like a big old roly poly or something, man. I gotta find a way to force myself to get some exercise. There's uh, nothing else stronger than that. Everything's been pretty good. Yeah. Goddamn burritos and brisk iced tea. <laughs> yeah, I'm tea. I'm heavy too, man. I went mm. I went to the gym and one of my homies that owns the gym, I guess he was talking to Tyler. Uh, Cause they're homies, and he was like, "Yeah, I was watching the cameras, and Kilborn was in there. He looked like Big Hero Six these days." He <laughs> 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 was like, "Yeah, motherfucker was just waddling around in the gym." <laughs> I'm like, "Fuck that! I still have a natural 300 plus pound bench press and pulling uh, over four wheels and squatting decent, but yeah, yeah I need, I need to get my shit together. I'm about." 
208. That, that little summertime cheating that I do where I get I get warmed up and I drop a smooth 20 or 30 just from being outside in the heat. And I, I, I did that this year, man. You know what I mean? I, I, I hung on. It's not it's nothing but excuse, but that's usually my lazy way. The heat really like it's like an antidepressant for me, the, the heat and sun. And I'll get out and do more and I'll end up, you know, get back into my little 5Ks and shit. But boy, missing that this year, I can definitely. Oh, yeah. Feel it, you know. Hey, yeah, a um, lot of people probably suffer from that shit. What were you yeah, say? yeah. I was gonna say, um, I was something I was keep forgetting to say was, uh, Chris, you you had something a few years back that we missed. It was like a volunteer opportunity or something. Oh, yeah, empty bowl, empty bowl. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Will we be able to do that again this year or something? I don't know if that's gonna happen with the uh, COVID nineteen shit going on. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I, I think to- it would. It would be an organizational fucking uh, disaster yeah. for us to try and undertake that. I, I doubt they're going to do it because she yeah. probably would have reached out to me by now about oh, okay. it. So. I felt bad for missing that. So I think I want to make sure the next time, whether it's that event or one like it, that we um, there's something like that happens to let, let us know so I can be there. It was so, a fun event. It was a fun time. Yeah, I was I, I was laid up this last one. Yeah. I, I got sicker in the crack, baby, and I couldn't even attend. So Kalu, oh, okay. I was the there just talking shit up. about Chris the whole time. So <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. I was just in there, like you know, carrying big fucking vats of soup. Just like, why'd you guys hire him anyway? You know, like <laughs> uh, <laughs> big vats of soup. <laughs> he had this big weird press on mustache too, and he was speaking in an Italian accent. It was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, why are you hiring these motherfuckers? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would love to do that. Say, Baba the Boopy. That's all you have to say. Every time I scoop something, it'll be Baba the Boopy. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. So, um, lots of stuff to talk about. But today's episode, I wanted to put myself through the grinder because I, I had a. Uh, I had a therapy session that actually got me thinking about a lot of stuff. So one of the things I was doing with uh, my therapist is that I was going through and I was making a a timeline. And this timeline was literally about every event that I could remember since as far back as I can remember. And uh, believe it or not, that's actually tougher than you think to go through and do that. And then um, so I go through and. I have this big list of things that I can remember since I was about maybe four or five years old. Um, and so I put down all these little things and I put the age and I put a tiny bit of a, a little note, or I might say something on there that says like, be sure to have a discussion on this. And so I went through and did that. And then the next session, she was like, Hey, when you come back, I want you to attach, like talk about how you felt in each of those different emotion or in those different uh, moments. And when I look through at the different uh, moments, like, uh, you know, from a top down view, if you will, um, there was one theme that would constantly pop up and that was embarrassment. And um, so she was kind of like, yeah, there's there's a lot of why are you feeling embarrassed about this thing or whatever? And obviously, I think that comes from a if you want to call it a bloviated sense of image or something like that, or just issues with image in general. And so that led to another discussion about how I might have a problem with what they call cognitive distortions. 
And so the just the definition that I have on my homework sheet is this. It says uh, unhealthy thinking patterns called cognitive distortions can lead to the reinforcement of negative thoughts and emotions. Cognitive distortions are common but irrational ways of thinking that can negatively impact emotions and behavior. Everyone experiences cognitive distortions to some degree, so don't be surprised if you can't identify with a few of them. And I think that um, for me, I, I don't I, – I think that I have a normal amount of lows or whatever in life, but the problem is why do I act embarrassed about them? You know, the more that I talk about stuff in in life in general uh, and the more that we share stuff from this podcast and the feedback that we get from our listeners, I realize that I'm more normal than than I think. But what is it that happens to us that makes us think that things are a lot worse than they are? And so that's where I want to sort of take off. And I have a couple different things to bring up from the notes and we'll just kind of go from there. So who wants to hit what I just teed off? I do. Okay, go ahead, Mark. Um, I I didn't know that had a name to it, but I've I've suffered that all my life, and a lot. I'm giving a lot of attention to it in my adult life. Um, I didn't know that was a thing. Not so surprised, but I certainly know, or at least I feel I have some examples of of doing that in my life and things that I still do, I still work on. I certainly try to put them out front, um, verbalize them when I can and be as open and vulnerable about them as I can. Cause I do that for sure. And the people around me and people I love people close to me do that for sure. Like extremely <laughs> like destructive patterns of that, the man, I can think of a dozen rich examples Uh one that happened to me not too long ago is back when I was running the boys and girls club. You remember those days, Kalu? Yeah. Um, one thing I start to notice that was an interesting phenomenon is I'm a young adult. I'm 26, 7, 8. And I start to encounter kids of my friends that are the same age that we were when we grew up to the Boys and Girls Club. And it's not in a sentence. Doesn't it doesn't say how that impacts you, but, but it's something really um, endearing about it. Like you feel you get this huge responsibility, like like, oh, shoot, that's David's son. I was at they I was at Boys and Girls Club with David. We were seven or eight, you know, hungry, standing in line trying to get refreshments and snacks. Cause sometimes those youth services centers and those youth programs, that's that's largely what they serve as. That's at least the the important part of them is somewhere for kids to go and get a lunch while parents are working all day, you know, in the summer. Cause kids are free, but parents aren't. Parents aren't so on vacation. All those heavy implications like started coming back to me and it affects you emotionally and in other ways. And um, I certainly had what I think might be called disassociations with what my importance was in that role. And uh, I don't know if you call it embarrassment or not, but I certainly felt some way about failing or not taking care of those young people because I was a member of that community. And these are not just some kids. That's like, I know that kid. I know that kid better than he knows me. You know what I mean? Cause I remember when <laughs> so-and-so got pregnant, you know what I mean? I'm like, that's the, yeah. that's the kid that, you know, cause everybody in our community is unplanned. You know what I mean? What nobody trying to have kids when they did. But, um, and so I had this, I had this moment where someone really close to my family, actually my niece, I'll just go ahead and say it, uh, was in one of the programs, the, um, uh, day treatment program and you got to really be fucking up in school to get there. It's like the last 
strong. Like what you have done should lead to jail, but we're just going to separate you and put you on your little private. You know how day day treatment works. I don't know what they call sure. it every other places, but uh, I don't know why they call it day treatment in Bowling Green. It's just alternative school is what it is. You're old enough that you kind of could go to jail, but you're still young enough that we don't want to put you in jail. So here's your last chance. And um, she was throwing a tantrum, going throwing off, and they called me. They called Mr. Mark from Boys and Girls Club over there. At this point, the uh, the uh, day treatment separated from the same. We weren't sharing a building anymore. So I went over to the old L.C. Curry Elementary um, on Durban Lane over there where where she was to kind of, you know, put things straight. And man, like uh, my niece said something to me that broke my heart. Now, this is a niece. I raised, she's raised in the same household as me. My mom raised her. This is my oldest sister's kid. And she said something to the effect of, you know, like they called you like you were someone special, Uncle Mark. You, you know, you're just another person. Like nobody cares about me. No one's going to do anything for me. Like I'm just going to end up going through uh, the system, or whatever. She said something to that effect, but it was so damn true that it just like hit me. It almost made me dizzy. And it has not happened very many times in my life where somebody simply saying something could like affect me that way. Uh, what I'm I, I, I'm hoping that all of this I'm saying gets to the point I'm trying to make that uh Later on, I would learn that, you know, everyone in that faculty had a close relative or a son or daughter or something that was like in that system. I felt embarrassed and I always felt like, why is it always me or why is it always my family? Why are we the ones always like, you know, getting in trouble and going to jail and all this stuff? Why can't we? You know, I thought that my being her uncle would make her behavior change. You know what I mean? Or showing up yeah. over there, yeah. like they called me, like, "Hey, Taylor, Taylor." I'm sorry, I shouldn't say her name. Damn, they said uh, Olivia's out, out of control. You know, Mark, come on, we'll get your niece. I was like, all right, drive over there and whatever. And she's sitting and crying on the stage of uh, of the gymnasium at Elsie Carey, and she's just like, you know, like, what is it? Who are you? What does it matter? What are, What are you gonna do any different? I'm still sitting right here. I'm still in this place, or whatever. And it just broke my heart, man. And I just, I don't remember what I did. I know I didn't have any effect on that day. I just left, you know, but um, later on, I was talking to someone else about that, that situation. I was very troubled, but um, they gave me a little bit of uh, solace in saying that like, yo, everyone is going through that. And that same person who was telling me that like his son ended up like going to jail a couple months later or something. It's just someone who you wouldn't expect to do that. He also worked sure. You services with me. And um, when you brought up disassociation, I never I hadn't ever heard that have like a title or a name or a handle, but I know exactly the phenomena you're talking about. And and there's multiple ways to respond to what I was experiencing, Mo- mostly like how much of it is my ego kind of yeah. expanding and thinking I'm like more important than I am or something. And how much it is, is it overreacting to what is just a normal and common but harsh reality that everybody's going through. But me, I think I'm like like above that or something, or I don't wanna I don't wanna go through that kind of em- embarrassment or something. And I yes. should be able to avoid it. That's what thousand percent. Yeah. All, all of I talked about. Yeah, all of the difficulty in dealing with that was certainly in my mind and in my ego. I wonder if that's anything like what you and your therapist talked about. It, we, we, I, like, I actually brought up the ego part right there. And, like, for, for example, you know, we talked about divorce, you know, and I was just saying that I feel like I walk around with this scarlet letter on me now. And it's like, 
this little mark. And it's obviously we, we've, we've talked about this. It's, I think it's more of like how it happened. You know what I mean? And, and the fact that it's just so fucking bowling green, do you know, like the, yeah. the shit that we were talking about before? Oh yeah. I just, I just felt yeah. like I was so above it. And, yeah. And, and I thought that me and just the relationship were just above that. Yeah. And then to find out that it's like, now you're not that different yeah. from that. Yeah. It's like the big blow or, and, and that was the big moment where it's like, fuck. And that is part of what makes me like, feel like, do I just need to leave Bowling Green and not be a part of that? Or do uh-huh. I just make better decisions? And that's kind of how we're also working on building a value system, which I'll talk about in another episode. But yes. yeah, what, think, you know, do what? I think the humility that comes with it, I have always found it very refreshing. And I use humility um, um, in a positive way. I mean, just the humbling that comes with that, because I don't know how to make that happen on my own, but when it does happen, what also comes along with it is that anxiety goes away. You know, mm-hmm. once I know that, oh, okay, because I am better. I do think I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It may be egotistical of me, but if it leads to better decision making, that's okay too. You know, yeah. we call me and my brother, we call it the uh, the purple, the purple effect because people that go to Bowling Green High are always accused of like being cocky or a little arrogant among when you know when they encounter other athletic programs around mm. the the state but if you ever join bowling green high you find that they're also working harder and have more but that quarterback club is insane like the amount of yeah. investment that's put into it so it's like both things and it's not a bad sort of ego to have but i like feeling relieved of of that sort of um dissociation and the, the anxiety or whatever bad feeling that comes with it, because that's what happened to me when I, that's literally why I left Bowling Green. So suddenly something happened between me and my uh, then romantic partner. And I was just sick to my stomach to have one of those narratives. And it was literally the narrative that I had to change. I like the narrative is remember that time when so-and-so yeah, was yeah. like doing it. Like I can live with one and one I can't live with. And the one of, yeah, he, he just left, you know, he left bone. I can live with that one. And that's what, that's what it was, man. And, um, but I still would rather not feel that way all the time. And for people listening that may have been come across a little nebulous, but, um, there was a time when I was going through like one of the shorter or or longer breakups with my now 10 year girlfriend and we're separated now, but she, she, she was like going through this weird thing where she said, God told her to marry this goofball dude. And I just thought it was so embarrassing, like like you being overwhelmed with that, whatever that clock is in a woman that says, you know, I got to be married and settled right now to kind of like and me being in the middle of it. I felt it embarrassing. Like, why can't you just find a decent dude? Why can't you go on Christian Mingle or something and just find you a regular, simple cornball? Dude? Why has it got to be this crazy dramatized thing yeah. that? <clears throat> It was embarrassing to me, man. And yeah. I just didn't want to be a part of it. And and I, you know, go ahead. No, no, no. So I just dipped out, man. I left the town. You know, and it's saying that there's a couple of different things that create, that make up, uh, and I'll correct the term that you're using, that make up cognitive distortions. And yeah. what it was saying here was, you know, magnification and minimization and uh, exaggerating or minimizing the importance of events. It says, one might believe their own achievements are unimportant or that their mistakes are excessively important. 
And um, I think one can say that, you know, um, especially with the magnification, I think that's really where the ego comes into place uh, for better or worse. You know, um, and I agree with you. There's no problem with having an ego. It's kind of what you do with it uh, that really defines it. Um, But in my opinion, I think that my ego was kind of serving as both the shield and the blinders, if you will. And uh, if that makes sense. Uh, And so I say the shield in that it's protecting me from crashing and burning completely. I say the blinders because it also keeps me blissfully ignorant of harsh truths or harsh realities. Mm -hmm. And some people can live in that space for the rest of their lives. I am choosing not to. And this is why I'm paying the money I pay to go and have these Mm -hmm. sessions and stuff like that. Um, Before I go on, Chris, did you have any sort of feedback or anything like that before I move to the next thing? Well, um, honestly, it's, it's really difficult for me to kind of transpose, you know, my, you know, coming of age, my upbringing into this type of scenario. Like I've tried to think about it from multiple angles. And if anything, I've worked from a place of, um, I don't, it's, it's bizarre to grow up with a mother who doesn't afford you any positive reinforcement, but at the same time, the family culture is one of like, fuck you were fucking great. And then honestly, when I go to school, like I'm not around a lot of kids because of, you know, my religious upbringing, I wasn't around a lot of kids, but then I go to school and I test into, you know, accelerated programs. I'm a good athlete, uh, people like me, all this shit. It, it was this weird dichotomy whereby, you know, I had as a small child, even I had idealized all this stuff that I wasn't allowed to do and endeavor to do. Um, and then saw even within myself, my own potential. Cause I'm like, fuck, I'm good at this shit. Why don't I have the opportunity to go and like really test it and show it off or whatever. But there comes a point when you are repressed or forced to face those types of scenarios, especially when you're a little kid where you either have to concede Actually, you you both have to concede and um, and really believe in yourself simultaneously. It's an interesting situation where you're like you you let go of the edge of the pool. You understand that you are defined much more closely by your actions um, and, you know, the the culmination. And again, I I don't want to discount like, you know, people that have done um got mixed up in some shit and done bad things. I, I'm not saying that you were defined by that. I think people have the ability to do better, but I do feel like that within a working definition, we are very much as entities in a social climate defined by our actions and defined by um, being honest with ourselves with regard to that as well and making there be kind of a, a reciprocity and not a disconnect between the two, not a, uh, what is it? Goffman, not bridge the gap between the backstage self and the front stage self. Mm -hmm. So I have a, it's difficult for me to offer any kind of insight when it comes to shame and things like that, because again, like my, my family culture, everything about it was predicated on being pretty 
fucking shameless motherfuckers and then being bombarded by a mother who was constantly picking at yeah. everything and being like, well, why do you do that? Why do you do this? Like, she still does it to this day. You develop a resiliency with it, but maybe I, it's something it's a, you notice out in the public. Do you notice that kind of thing with some of your friends or people well, that you talk with? I think, it, well, if you want me to, I'll, I'll, I'll probably oversimplify this quite a bit and then make it overly convoluted as I tend to do things. But to me, kind of the incongruencies with my personality and like my periodic, uh, you know, reach and grasping towards self-actualization because it's not something to be a, obtained it's something to be maintained or you know it's it's in action it's a dynamic fucking thing it, you don't get there and then you're like oh cool, cool this is you know enlightenment so to speak but i think a lot of it for me the only thing that i could translate which which i have had to joust with and i feel like is a common thing for other people that i notice dealing with the opposite opposite end of the spectrum with the shame or whatever is taking oneself too seriously and feeling like you are a part. I don't mean a part, but a part like away from something independent of your social climate. You're not, you are, you are your social climate to a degree. You're not necessarily defined by it entirely, but you're not removed from it. it. It permeates who you are as an individual. So there are certain elements of it where me growing up from the culture that I came from, thinking that I'm Mr. Coolbury's dope about every goddamn thing, was um, whenever I had instances where things didn't work out the way that I felt like they should, it, it came down to um, either writing myself a pass because of you know, the things that I had endured, basically uh, blaming some external stimuli, something that's out of my fucking control. That's what it came down to. And whether that is true or not, if you're able to sit there and really think about it, if you're able to draw those conclusions, then you're able to dig deeper, in my opinion, and notice that a lot of the stuff that causes us anguish and pain is associated with this arbitrary attachment to what we define ourselves as and this static definition of self that's intrinsically tied to ego and taking oneself too seriously. So I feel like yeah. those of us that fly high, like and all three of us, we have that in common is that we fly high, but when things don't go our way, then we we're like, okay, this is absolutely totally incongruent with, with who I am as a human being. Where is the problem? Because this isn't all me. This is not who I am. Where's this at? I think the there's a little bit of histrionics that we have to contend with as people who fly high and as people who, who utilize ego in a positive way. You have to mitigate that shit to a degree and be like, yo, I'm not that important. I'm not something entirely distinct or... Mm -hmm. Or apart from my environment, um, you know, we all just little microbes. And I know we're we're trying to play this closer to the chest and make it more sure, micro, sure. micro level instead of macro. But there's continuity between the two things. And Dude, that and, is a good segue, man. What you had just said about like, 
saying that events or whatever are incongruent with who you are, like especially when they don't work your way, like that leads to actually one of the next things on this sheet is what they call magical thinking. And they say that magical thinking is a, a belief that acts will influence unrelated situations. It's like saying I'm a good person, so bad things shouldn't happen to me or I've oh, done yeah. all this shit in my life. So why is this happening to me? Like that is something that I have definitely found myself thinking before. Like I've done all these things right. Why is this shit still happening? And it, at the end of the day, this continues to lead back to ego. But um, I want to be able to break down this thought. Have you or do you know of people that have this same type of sentiment? Yeah. I mean, I think it's more common than it's than it is uncommon. I think a lot of people are just more prone to bullshit about it. Mm. You know, your your thing is that I mean, you you do you do come and go as it pertains to being like an open book and then also being closed off. Like that's that's the nature of collude to a degree is like batten down the hatches, like go, go inside, go, go inside Kalu's head, be thinking. And, and I don't know a lot of that pertains to you doing self-work. I'm sure it's you thinking about trying to kind of unpack stuff that you've ingested or just burn off what might be idle toxic energy that you have. But you, you, you do have that side that makes you an open book. I think the majority of the population uses, um, uses this process that we're talking about um, in, in a way that helps them fit into the social climate, that helps them reinforce the narrative that they're living in some way, shape, form, or fashion. It's, uh, and, and it's a coping mechanism. It, Agreed. It, whereas with us, whereas with us, the people with, again, subjectively inflated senses of ego, those of us that try and fly higher and think of ourselves as capable and um, carrying ourselves in a certain way and having a moral code and things like that. I think when when it comes to us. Again, we feel like we are something apart from the social climate. And and there's an interesting tug at that as well, because we, you know, as I said, we aren't something that's entirely apart from it, but we're not entirely bound to it either. And I think that the majority of people just consign themselves to whatever kind of narrative reality that they have allowed themselves to live in. Um, and I'm, and I'm, i in a whole lot because the thing is, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, you said that you're more normal than you realize. Yeah. I don't, the term normal always bothers me. Sure. Because I think normal more, more so coincides with normative expectation and how somebody uh, That's a thousand percent what it is. Yeah, it's 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 assimilation into the the current zeitgeist, whatever. But, but I want to say that normal, even for me, yes, yes, it, it's partially what you're saying, but it's also partially like there's some there's some normality in being a little bit fucked up. 
you know, and I think that's kind of what it what it is for me is when I use the term realizing that I'm more normal, it's like realizing that everyone has problems and shit like that. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, Does that's that ownership. It? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. But, but that's ownership. Um, and there's a difference between ownership and as we've talked about previously, people ascribing themselves certain static characteristics and just forgetting about it. Like, Oh, you know, I've got a temper and it gives I'm a cancer. It's because I'm a candy corn. Candy corn. Every, every goddamn time for the most part, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark. (laughs) I have nothing. I have no problem with you guys being deluded about the truth. (laughs) (laughs) As it relates to the stars. Cosmos, you may continue in your veil of ignorance, and I shall support you anyway. Oh, but but aside from that, again, I think I think that there are there's really no way to be a positivistic person and and think about yourself in terms of of making progress and self actualizing if you ascribe yourself static traits and that's that's the thing with me is that I, I just have a really hard time when when we assign ourselves anything that that is other than like okay a creative character like you in fallout 4 and you get a creative character and you put like a nine in strength and like a three in charisma but as you level up you could go ahead and get that strength up to 10 or you could get your charisma up. Like, do you, do you go ahead and bolster what you're already good at? Do you augment things that you might have a little bit of a disparity in? That's, that's what I'm thinking of in terms of a human being and our psychology. And it's funny that I have to use a video game as a, a foil for that type of, of thinking. But in my opinion, it's, you know, if uh, from a sociological standpoint, you know how uh, there are different schools of thought on, you know, there's the onion versus the apple and they talk about uh, human social behavior and, and psychology and things like that, that there are either layers to a human being or beyond the peel. There's this like relative homogeny underneath the surface of the peel, you know, those sure. two schools of thought. Uh, well, we could, we could corn dog this shit to fuck up and go ahead and say, like, there are a couple of schools of thought with regard to this. It would be the Mortal Kombat concept where you start out and you you pick a character that is that coincides with what you like or your idealized self. Or you do the create a character thing with the Fallout 4 kind of framework whereby as you go and as you encounter through the game and learn and adapt, then you ascribe yourself traits or pour energy into certain traits in accordance to stim- external stimuli. Mm. So I just have a, I, personally, I have a difficult time when people are like, Oh, I'm just this way because yeah. I don't feel like I feel like at a certain point, if you're supposed to have some kind of in-depth discussion with this individual and lay all your cards out on the table, how can yeah. you do that with an individual that's already decided who the fuck they are? That's true. It's very true. 
you know, and that's something that honestly segues into the next uh, piece of cognitive distortion, and that's called personalization. And uh, this is definitely a thing for me. It says a belief that one is responsible for events outside of their own control. And the, the example it uses is my mom is always upset. She would be fine if I did more to help her. Now, I think that all of us it, honestly it depends on it's because of how I grew up to growing up in a um, honestly a non-American household. I don't I don't even want to just say Nigerian because I noticed this in a lot of non-American households is you feel this responsibility to account for the um, if you can e- either the suffering or the inequities of other people, uh, especially if you have some kind of uh, emotional tie to them. So me taking on this thing of saying like, hey, there's this person who has these things. I'm I'm going to try and help them fix it. Um, and me having this like if you want to call it some like sense of duty or sense of honor to help them achieve that goal. So if you are, you know, if you have problems with being confident or being secure or whatever, someone like me, when, when I don't have my shit in check is going to be that person to kind of like take on those issues that you're having and be like, I'm going to make sure that they feel the best, that they get all this stuff done. And if they can't get it, it's my fault. Whereas it should be their fault. They're in charge of their own happiness. They're in charge of their own security. But I think that at the core, that comes from having a family that was always, you know, as soon as we were in America, there, it was always someone calling saying, help us, you know, send some money or send something. And everyone like mom, dad, jumping on that, mainly dad. But I really followed that same type of example and I applied that into many other things. And so when people weren't able to accomplish their goals or, or beat their monsters, if you will, I took that personally. And I think that is a was a major problem for me. And honestly, I think the one thing that I'm scared to uh, to realize or the harsh the potentially harsh reality or the harsh potentiality, that's what it is. The harsh potentiality that I see in front of me is that did, is, did I get with, did I get married for the wrong reason? Was it because there was something that I personalized and wanted to make right or fix or something? Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. tracks. Why? And, and, and I think that that is egotistical as hell, in my opinion. Well, yeah, but um, it, certainly it is. But, you know, that's that's why I think it's helpful in the exercise you're doing with your therapist and with us right now to realize if that's the case, then the second part of that is to get over the whatever way you might feel about yourself in that immediate realization to get over the next hump is, mm-hmm. oh, I'm not above you know, moving that way. Like everyone's doing that. I'm not above getting married out of impulses that were imprinted on me when I was a child or out of other reasons, you know, Mm -hmm. other, other quote unquote wrong reasons, you know, and very, very few of us are getting married out of anything resembling a purely divine, (laughs) you know, 
connection. I, and I've said I've said that before when I talked about how I came to uh, to feel much more respect for arranged marriages in other cultures and things because it makes it all about something other than the two individual egos. But in the West, you know, the, we don't approach uh, love and romance and marriage that way uh, culturally for the most part. But marriage is so damn political that it um it tends to be a totally different benefit to approaching it uh, pragmatically in the way that some people do when they arrange marriages, because the part that we consider to be love and, and romance, the part that we, the two people work on um, together, that part is actually really easy. The romance part, you'd be surprised. You, you can get to love and get to know a motherfucker real easy, but that other stuff, like what stock do you come from? Are you prepared to be a housewife? Were you raised for that? You know, do the, do you have for the um, perspective of the man? Do you have the resources to manage a, a, a large family? You know what I mean? Yeah. And then in arranged marriages, that stuff is sorted out. You get put together with a person that's got all the the hard things that 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 we Westerners struggle with in year 11, 12, 13. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. When, when the bullshit wears off, you get all that figured out for you and you just, you get to know someone, you know, yeah. she, you, she'll, she'll, she'll eventually learn the right way to bounce on your dick. You know what I mean? But you can't, <laughs> you can't train it into her if she wasn't raised that way to be a good housewife. If you have that kind of a marriage, you get what I'm saying? Sure, sure. I'm sorry. You I couldn't think of anything less well, vulgar than that no, but no, that's no. the shit that kills i've heard you know i've got family members where that was the problem you know what i mean and yeah. and different things like that so it's super interesting to uh think about how uh much our culture affects it i was reading because i got tired of us have talking outside of our mouth and mis misrepresenting the chorus complex i went back and started reading a little bit to get the definitions down and stuff so for the next time we talk about it and one thing also is included in the western idea of love that that uh the author speaks about this is a slight tangent is that the idea of love we have is does exist nowhere else on the planet like they don't even have a word for it in china in china so it's interesting how you know yeah i'm saying all that to say it should make you feel better about stumbling through this thing like everyone else because it turns out a whole lot of our idea of relationships and love in this part of the world no matter which uh, distorted vector you take on it all of it's fucked up all of it's wrong i think it, it even applies to friendships it applies for so many things outside of just relationships and love and whatnot i think that we do if you are someone that has not gotten your value system in check um I think that once you do, um, I believe that your friend circle gets a little bit smaller. Um, and for me, I am I, I am a pleaser and I didn't really have a lot of my values in check. And I think because of that, it made it easier to to personalize things, not just in relationships, but in friendships and all sorts of shit all the time, like helping people out all the time. But it's because it made me feel accepted. It made me feel good. That was how I got people to like me, mm -hmm. especially when I was younger and didn't have any confidence or anything like that. And mm -hmm. so that's that is another big thing that I'm certainly working myself towards. Um, I would essentially give just about anything for people just to be able to make them feel good. And I'm learning now that that is a problem. But that comes also from personalization. Now, the next thing I want to jump to, <laughs> that's funny, it's called jumping to conclusions. 
And um, it says that interpreting the meaning of a situation with little or no t- little or no evidence, you know, and it has two sub uh, if you want to call it sub meanings or subtopics within jumping to conclusions. And it calls it mind reading and fortune telling. So mind reading, it says it's interpreting the thoughts and beliefs of others without adequate evidence. And the example it says is she would not go on a date with me. And the reason is because she probably thinks I'm ugly. And then fortune telling, obviously, is uh, the expectation that a situation will turn out badly without adequate evidence. Um, I think that those of us who do suffer from cognitive distortions go through that shit a ton. And the one thing that I've honestly seen is, um, you know, I talked to a couple of my different friends who are in the dating scene right now. And um, that is one of the things where people for a lot of people who are like scared to shoot their shot or some of the guys who uh, some of the guys who might get rejected or something, because I have one of my friends, she was telling a story of a guy that um, she was like, I'm not really feeling it. And he just goes on this thing telling talking about how she's like a terrible person, you know, or and starting to like like create essentially thoughts that would paint her as a bad person when in reality, she's just not feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, that is another thing. And again, we're going to continue to push back to ego, but it's crazy how much the ego creates things like this, like fortune telling, like mind reading, because at the end of the day, I think that your brain just wants to feel right about something because Mm -hmm. feeling right gives you that good. What, what's the chemical release of being right or winning? Is it, Dopamine, maybe dopamine. Is that what it is? Or serotonin or something? I'd say it's dopamine. So you get that feeling when you're like, yeah, this is what they're going to do. And when they do that thing, then that's what it is. And so I think that that is another piece. And that's even us taking it to a deeper level than that. We just took it onto a chemical level and saying that your brain wants to those good feelings there. And so that shit's going to pop up. Um, Do you all have any comments on that? Because I have just a couple more uh, things before we you know, before I feel like we've really described this all. If you want, I can jump to the next thing. Go ahead. All right. So the next thing it says, it's emotional reasoning. And it says that is the assumption that emotions reflect the way things really are. And it says like, I feel like, I feel like a bad friend. Therefore I am a bad friend. That that one, that one's heavy. (laughs) I don't know. That's not, that's not one that I go through. I have the opposite of that. And I don't know if you're, if your homework will touch on um, one of the recent things I've realized, I just happened to overhear it when someone was describing some classic psychological dispositions in modern um, uh, psychology. But uh, I have uh, like kind of the opposite of that. But I I encounter people because I have the opposite problem with with that very problem you're describing there, where their remote their emotions are their entire rea- reality. And man, I'm so interested in that, like in what to do about it, or if it can be corrected in adults, or if it can be helped. But because uh, it's one of the things that a lot of the African American community and like you know as a whole has, they just stop right there at how they're feeling. I feel like a big Yeah, yeah, it's just, it just, yeah, it's just, that's it. I'm like, nothing else, you don't want to like pick up a hammer or nothing. It's just, no, I just feel this way. And it's weird how, how comfortable the mind or can be with that, uh, that feedback loop. So I, I don't know what to do about it, but I've certainly observed that pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's a truthfully, I think that that is one of the most dangerous places to live is where you're where you're thinking like that, Um, because it's I believe it's true what they say, like you are what you think you are. Um, 
And I think that that um, the whole self-fulfilling prophecy kind of comes into play where if you believe that, you know, you're a bad friend or that you're a bad person or that you're all this other shit, you are going to tailor your life to where that um, you, that that reality will become I mean, that yeah, will become a reality. So. You'll start, you know, not going out with your friends. You'll you'll start um, doing other things that will give people the notion that you are a bad person, that you are a mean person. And it's like, I don't know what can break that because I largely like to think like, dude, just decide to be nice today or decide to be different. But I, I've thought that way until we started having episodes with like with JP when when he talked about his depression and stuff like that. And that is something that can easily, you know, take you like just keep you trapped underwater, you know. I'm a shitty person. I'm, and it's like, what exactly happens? Does someone tell you that? Like, where does that mindset come from? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes if you are, are transitioning from into a new group, if you're trying to join a new group and there's a rite of passage into that group and you fail to meet the requirements of the rite of passage, it can, it can imprint um, on you at any age that, mm. cause I've seen that one. It's weird. The only reason I've seen that one is cause that's the, I've always been the anti anti group. You know what I mean? I've always been sure. like celebrate in, I'd have a collection of people, but they'd all be outlaws. They all be yeah. outsiders and like super independent wolf types. And, um, all my circles of friends have been like that to childhood and stuff. So, um, but I've seen that I've seen people fail to integrate into a group and get that I'm not worthy of that. So I'm not worthy of a whole lot of stuff. And they like start wearing that. I'm like, hmm, that's really interesting. It's like almost before you enter into acceptance into a group, especially through uh deliberate and 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 described rite of passage, you open yourself up to this really vulnerable state. And if you don't get acceptance, you can be imprinted on in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the same thing that happens in cults and things too. So it yeah. shouldn't be a surprise, but I'm always surprised when I see it. Cause I'm always on some fuck y'all. You know what I mean? Y'all mm-hmm. are so corny. Like it's the more, this is the corniest, stupidest shit. I spent all of college being anti uh, Greek. You know, yeah. I loved giving them hell. Because and I came to feel differently about that um, for different reasons as I got older and more educated about the impulse for that sort of tribal collectivism from our culture. But I still was critical in that we didn't take ownership of it fundamentally. It was still like this adopted, borrowed thing where we were just trying to do instead of making our own thing, you know, instead of making French fraternities and sororities based on um, our heritage and our culture. Like, why do you want to be Greek? I found that very weird. I was actually asking one of my friends this the other day. Actually yesterday. How could you be proud of that? It's so embarrassing. It's like you, like you're displaying and celebrating the fact that you're brainwashed and conquered. You know what I mean? You use Greek letters, you lose it. And that culture, that wasn't our culture. Yeah, sure. There's melanated people there and everything, but like that wasn't us. They were, they were always fighting for their um, distinct, to, to remain distinct from all the cultures around him. They had a rich, a rich amount of very um, um, influential culture surrounding them at the height of their civilization, but it didn't include us. The first uh, Greek Greek fraternity was created in fact to keep out non It was the very reason it was created was to keep us out. And here we go again. 
and it bothered me. That's a little bit beside the point, but I have seen people that in that context have done some really uh, crazy things that left them feeling like they weren't worthy. But I think they self-sabotage. Yeah. I have one friend and he says like, you know, he's, he's wanting to get into, he wants to find a relationship in the right person. Right. And he says, um, I don't know how to be a good boyfriend. So I like, and he says like, so I'm like, I'm a bad dude for these people. And it's like when, when that happens, you know, he goes out on a date with a chick or something like that. He literally will like self-sabotage and it just falls apart. And I'm like, bro, why are you doing this to yourself? Like she doesn't (laughs) think you're stupid. She doesn't think you're this or whatever. Like, why do you do that? But I, you know, it's, it's nothing you can get to the core of in like 10 seconds when you ask someone that question. Right. But I definitely think that it's, it is a real thing where people do walk around caring or carrying on, like they're not worthy and that can, can lead you down a really dark road. Um, I think that the next, the next piece here is what this is disqualifying the positive and it says recognizing only the negative aspects of a situation while ignoring the positive. One might receive many compliments on evaluation, but focus on a single piece of negative feedback. I'm I fluctuate with this part here. Some days I'm looking for an attaboy and and my ego will be like, hell, you're the greatest because of this thing or whatever. But then other moments I'm entirely way too critical. I think that for me. And this is something that I also talked about in my session is that. When we, when someone compliments me on my physical appearance, uh, and I've really been for the last like two weeks or so really been like reining it in, uh, when people compliment me on my physical appearance, like I don't, I don't 1000% take the grace. I'll be like, oh man, I appreciate it, but there's always a, but, but this Mm -hmm. thing is here And, and, and it's, it's a good enough balance where I like to think it's a good enough balance where no one has to tell me, just take the fucking compliment, you know, but I still see that if, if I'm just a few notches away from outright, just not taking the compliment well. And I think that a lot of there, I, I personally know people that if I say something to it, they just like, Oh no, I'm like, dude, just take it. Like I'm, I'm, it's, I'm telling you, you look great, you know, or you did a good thing or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and some of us just don't know how to take that kind of stuff. But that comes from so many other things. And the big thing that I try not to do is personalize when that moment happens, you know, and everyone has their reason for why they, they may not be able to, to, uh, uh, see value in the positive, but I definitely think that it's a, it's a thing that happens often. Uh, the other thing too, is if you do come from a culture, kind of like Chris might've mentioned it where you're, where it's just kind of expected where, where good things are just expected. You might also have a problem with accepting compliments and positive reinforcement that way. And I saw that it showed like Chris Mm -hmm. just connected. Chris, are you on right now? Are you getting issues? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm back. So is that something that you, you suffer with? If someone tells you a good compliment, do you kind of like not really know how to take it? Oh yeah. I'm much more comfortable with people, uh, Making fun of me, terrorizing me, rolling their eyes you at my big hero six, you fucking fat ass. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm much more comfortable in that zone of motherfuckers terrorizing me than when somebody is like, 
when somebody does give me a genuine compliment and tells me like, you know, and I won't even give a fucking example, but it happens periodically. And I'm like, thanks. Uh, you know, I'm okay. And, and I think that honestly, part of that comes from the fact that maybe I do have an inflated sense of self and, uh, I feel guilty about having somebody else like further add to the pile of shit that I'm already like, I'm dope at this. I'm dope at that. Mm. Um, or, you know, it, it can be a combination of things because like my vocation, for example, people will be like, they'll act like it's such a noble thing for me to do. And then in my mind, like what I do, um, there's times where I'm, I'm not on my P's and Q's. There's times where I'm fucking lazy and I'm, I'm not doing, and it's, it's not client based stuff. It's not, you know, things that negatively impact the population I serve. If something's going to suffer, it's usually like shit that has to do with me being an obedient little, little worker like you gotta have your case notes turned in i need your travel voucher by this time i need you to enter this into the system stuff that i know logically from being a public servant for almost a decade isn't going to impact the treatment Mm -hmm. that my client receives it's just more about falling in lockstep and making things look good um so yeah, that shit tends to fucking suffer first. Like if I'm if I'm struggling with some shit, like internally, I notice that that stuff suffers. I also notice that I tend to, um, if I'm not doing well, like I'm not in a good place, I tend to just be very super super. I'm selfish with my time anyway, mm-hmm. but I'm even more selfish with my time. Like I just I I shut down, go off to myself. And, uh, it's a difficult thing for me to broach, to be quite honest with you, because the, the sense of self that I maintain, despite me preaching that we are not static beings, that we're dynamic and we're ever shifting, but my sense of self, uh, my self-worth doesn't really fluctuate a whole lot. And, I don't know what that came from. I don't know if it came from just the combination of my cultural upbringing, my genetic predisposition, the fact that I've thought I was dying of, uh, you know, eating too many mushrooms in a field down in Manchester, Tennessee, watching, you know, jam bands perform. I don't know. Like there's a lot of stuff that has culminated to get me to the point where I'm at to think the way that I think. But the bottom line is, um, you know, this long diatribe that I've gone on that was spurned by discussing my inability to take compliments. Um, you know, in some ways, I feel like I've got it figured out. And in saying that I've got it figured out, to me, my getting it figured out was a an acceptance of my own ignorance on when it comes to the majority of things, especially as a, a, a kid that has been told how exceptional he is, you know, through 
from the fucking beginning and on into adulthood still being told that they're exceptional it may not be as much guilt as it is me just being like like looking at another human being who i ascribe to them the same value that i do myself inherently i start pretty much everybody else off at the same level as me and you know, I have to recognize disparities and understanding, and we're all good at certain things. Um, and, and some are just not as good when it comes to abstract thinking or whatever. But when somebody gives me that compliment, to me, it's like throwing, you know, a piece of candy in a vast body of fucking water. Like you're, you're just like, what, what's, what's the point to me? And I know that's a very verse kind of descriptor taking a piece of candy something that is to be consumed and enjoyed by a human being and casting it off into a countless volumes of water a body of water that's what the compliment is to me uh, who i live as the reality that i see is that vast moving dynamic amorphous almost body of water that, you know, it has its own, you know, bodies of water in within different, you know, localities, whatever. They have their own personalities, so to speak. You know, they have okay. biodiversity. They have, you know, a certain temperature. They have um, depth. Um, any number of descriptors can be assigned to that body of water. It doesn't detract from that being a body of water. but the comparison of a compliment, that piece of candy being cast into that body of water is the closest comparison that I can draw to when somebody tells me like, you're, you're very well-spoken or you're a really good writer. I'm like, and this isn't to discount their opinion. And this isn't to discount them as a human being, but I'm like, that's fundamental shit to me. Like, that's just the beginning. That, that is stuff that I utilize in order to try and unpack things that are far, far more vast. And then there's a certain point that we get to when we're unpacking things where, you know, it's like pulling a string on a shirt to where it ends up unraveling and it's no longer a fucking shirt. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense there, man. Um, I want to move to the, Next thing with um, should statements. Um, and I think that kind of links to the whole like magical thinking part of saying like, I'm a good person. Bad things shouldn't happen to me. I think the should statements, you know, are in the same way in that um, it says like I should it says I should always be friendly. For me, it was I should always be positive or I should always have it together. Uh, and for one thing that I've learned is that my ability to be positive, my ability to have my shit in order is only it's as good as my ability to function when shit is not good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, and that's something that um, I definitely struggle with even now is just uh, having to feel like I'm on all the time. Uh, so when, when I have these moments, like say last night and Friday, dude, 
it felt so weird that I didn't want to do a single thing, man. I played so much video games between Friday and Saturday. Like, and, you know, obviously I went and worked out and stuff like that, but like I vegged out a ton and it felt odd, but it felt good. But I'm trying to get into this moment where it's okay to do that, where it's okay to just like not feel like I have to go and do somewhere, do something or be somewhere. And that is something that I also work with now just because my job is remote. Um, The moment that work is over for me, I'm wanting to get out. And so now I'm kind of trying to prioritize and find some good in sort of just being home, being by myself. But um, to connect that to this cognitive distortion thing, it's it's that weird. Um, if you want a weird expectation that you put on yourself and then when I when I'm always going out or I'm always doing stuff, it puts this. Well, I maybe again, this could be part of my distortion. I feel like there's this expectation that the world has on me to always be ready to go out and always be ready to do things. So when I decided to stay home, I thought that I would ruffle feathers, but no one gave a fuck. And that was okay. You know? Yeah. I had to quit. My friends used to call me Nana. Because yeah, they was, they would say Nana, like especially big Tony. He, to this day, he still called me Nana. I was like making fun of me, but I was the down-ass nuck-nuck that you called if you needed some shit done. And I think that that came from, you know, me growing up Jehovah's Witness and not being able to have the friends that I wanted and be able to do things on my own terms and when I wanted to do them. And what ended up happening is that I traded one restrictive social system for another. Mm-hmm. And I and I mis- mistook it as freedom. When in reality, I had jumped from one framework that was very, you know, regimented and um, stifling, really, um, if we're honest, but jumped from that to one where I'm like, okay, I'm going to be there for my friends. I'm, I'm going to say yes to uh, whatever it may be as far as like going out and experiencing things and having fun. But I tethered myself to just a a whole other rigid framework of like, okay, I expect Chris to be available to uh, come pick me up when I get off work at nine 30 mm. and we're going to go smoke a blunt. And this is like, you know, early twenties, Chris, mm-hmm. um, relationships have slowly, and honestly, relationships have been some of the biggest, uh, biggest elements of my growth as a human being that, you know, you have, you sit there with another person and you really, you have to decide, you know, where you, you end and they begin and like how, Mm. how to parse out, you know, your effort and your investment in them. And I've, I've seen the progression in my relationships in conjunction with, Obvious, you know, there's multiple variables. There are different individuals along the way, but like my three major relationships as an adult, because fuck, man, like I've I've been in relationships for see, I'm 36. I for the majority of my life from 23 to uh, 35. Yeah, 
I was in relationships, you know, and that's the majority of that fucking time. Before mm-hmm. that, I was Nana, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so I got in these relationships and I realized that I couldn't be Nana and maintain a relationship. The relationship had to be predicated on some degree of normalcy and the other person taking precedent mm-hmm. that, <clears throat> but I didn't want to let go um, immediately. Like my, which Kalu knows, knows who this person is. But like when I was in my early twenties and I was in a relationship with somebody that I went to school with was in the sociology grad program mm-hmm. with, I wasn't, I wasn't mature enough either. I really, sure. I was, I was halfway formed when it came to understanding that I had to slough off that rigid um, system of of constraint that I had described myself to in being fucking nana to my friends or whoever else that was in my peer group, I, I, you couldn't, you can't ride the fence in that way. You can't, you know, dip your toe in the water. You have to be told, you do have to be totally invested in, in the relationship. You really fucking do. So I, I thrashed and carried on and was immature and self self-important and arrogant and, and impatient, but you know, that, and, and to be fair, and I'm not blaming her, but she wasn't perfect either. You know, we're mm. both like, we were ill-fitted to begin with, but we're also in our early fucking twenties, early to mid twenties, uh, you know, going to college together, going through the grad program together, living together it was the first woman that I'd ever lived with, you know, and then I was, then she and I split up after four years and then I was single for just a few months. And then I got in another relationship with somebody that was like eight years, my, my junior. And very mature in other ways, but I recognized off jump, especially from that past relationship and this individual's, uh, I want to say potential and potential is a big fucking thing that we get hung up on too. Dude, if we've got egos and we feel like somebody is worth our effort and worth our time we have a real problem taking ourselves too fucking seriously when it comes to reciprocity and expectation with regard to our investment in them we're like Mm -hmm. well you should recognize how awesome i am and that i even take the time to shut that and i'm not saying that we are yeah we we don't necessarily articulate it we we re-rationalize it you know eight ways till sunday but At the end of the day, it really comes down to us objectifying another individual, being self-important and being like, okay, since I've stopped everything that I'm motherfucking doing, albeit it's been voluntarily, nobody forced any of us to stop what we were doing and, and make that investment. First of all, that's a voluntary fucking thing. Then we don't get the outcome that we expected from that investment then we want to thrash and control or dictate or problem solve or fix and in reality it's just there's there very well is just probably an incongruency that's really what it comes down to is okay there there's nothing personal to be taken from this there's nothing about you that you need to um 
necessarily be like, oh, my self-worth is completely in the fucking toilet because this investment that I made didn't pay off. It's it's us setting ourselves up for failure through expectation instead of acceptance. Mm-hmm. And and things and I, and I know this is some corny new new age shit, but you know things that are supposed to happen, they do. These these outcomes that transpire, they're supposed to fucking happen. They're inevitable because you know you have two beings with very different experiences coming together and trying to have a shared experience, trying to nurture a shared experience. And it's, it's something that has to be kept in constant repair. And if we're not doing it in terms of nurturing that shared experience and our investment is placed in that nurtured or, or is placed in terms of nurturing that mutually that shared experience without any kind of expectation um, of outcome. Again, I'm not talking about. I'm talking about the the intangibles, the mm. the abstracts. I'm not talking about the basic shit. There's fundamental things that you shouldn't accept. Accepting a pattern of disrespect or accepting patterns of maladaptive treatment and behavior towards you is not something that you should fucking accept. I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about outcome based stuff. Like I put this effort in, I didn't get what I wanted to out of it. Obviously there's something wrong with me or obviously there's something wrong with this other person that serves no, serves no fucking purpose. It it doesn't help you out at all. No, it helps no one. It's a hindrance. It's a monkey on your back and it's something that you carry with you because you're either going to rationalize it as there's something wrong with them or there's something wrong with you. If you frame up everything, when you have interpersonal dynamics like that, if when it fails, when the bottom falls out of it, if it does, being that outcomes are what they're supposed to be, they just fucking are quantitatively, they are what they're supposed to be. Whether we want to romanticize them or not, you are only setting yourself up for something that you have to carry around with you. Like you were saying that scarlet letter, it is a burden that you have to carry. Even if you ascribe the maladaptive elements to the other individual, even if you put the onus on them, you still are walking this planet with another individual living rent free in your fucking head. That is what I'm trying to not do is allow squatters as we've talked about in a, in an episode is to not let people live rent free. Um, especially as I go through and, and learn my value system and understand the things that are important to me, the things that are essentially my building blocks. And as I learn each of those things, the thought continues to hit. It's like, it never would have worked in the first place. You know, no, no. what happened was supposed to, Yeah, it's supposed to. And what you have to, it's like molting. You have to mm-hmm. shit. You have to slough off that old exoskeleton, whatever it was that, you know, it formed you, it protected you, it, it served its purpose, but it's now time to shed and become bigger, larger, something yeah. else, you know, metamorphosis, what, however you want to fucking frame it up. But yeah. at the end of the day, when you have this investment outcome based shit and it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to, that expectation, that attachment, and I've said it a million times 
You know, the Buddha saying that attachment is the root of all suffering. That attachment, that expectation that's associated with just the outcome will fucking haunt you. And you have to you have to figure out a way of being like, say la vie about the whole fucking thing. You yeah. have to. That's the only way that it works. And it, and you, you know, and especially like this last relationship that I was in, we were, I mean, ill matched from the jump. Like everybody on the fucking planet that knew both of us was like, I can't believe that you two get along. And really the inexplicable elements were there, but the practical ones, there weren't any. But, you know, after and we both, you know, the the inexplicable shit is so intoxicating and dope and and romanticized, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's it it just it it permeates who you are. And it it almost reinvents you in its in its image. It makes you feel like I, I wasn't a complete person until you showed up and and you romanticize things even further through that intoxication. And it, you gloss over the fact that you're that you're just fundamentally incongruent. Then at the end of that, it's natural. It's 100% natural to, again, each and every one of us to thrash and carry on. But in my opinion, there has to be the letting go. And there has to be the allowance of ourselves to practically. And, and, and you know, and this is just my way of, of dealing with things that that, you know, still. And, and again, your, your situation is different than mine and you are a different person than I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even, even the fucked up elements of it, I, I can't, there, there's no purpose in me sitting around harboring any kind of ill will towards a human being that I know, you know, realistically was doing the best that she could with the tool set that she was given. And I did the best I could with the tool set that I was fucking given. And in lieu of that, and and I can look back and be like, there were some beautiful elements to that shit. And I want nothing but the best for that person. And, and I know that there is, we talk about living rent free, even the, the notion of closing a door or forcing yourself to forget about, somebody else what is it that movie eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yeah yeah trying to get himself to forget right it doesn't serve a purpose because you you haven't learned anything you got to learn from it you got to own it and then and then the the thing that you put forward the thing that you carry around whatever's manifestly part of who you are because of that relationship that you were in carry with you the beautiful elements the flowers the fucking the, the investment that you made, the best of you, the, the moments where you shined as an individual, because that shit didn't go away and it didn't change the fact that you were your best self at that point, whether that person appreciated it or not. That's getting hung up in the expectation element of it again. But you there there are shining moments all throughout these these relationships, these doomed relationships, these completed relationships they're they're beautiful little shining moments in all of them and to deny that is is lunacy even if even really fucked up ones there are little gems that are hidden away within them 
Yeah. Um, and and I'm not saying because you wouldn't have taken it to, or at least I wouldn't have taken it to the length that I did if there were if they weren't there. Absolutely. And you know what? And again, there were moments 100% where you shined along mm-hmm. the way. And you, if and to slough that off, to slough off the whole thing, to d- dismiss it as entirely bad, or to carry it on. You know, with rose-colored glasses too. That's that's a fucked-up thing in and of itself. But to not learn from it, to try and wipe it clean, to sterilize your brain from it, is it's lunacy. You don't learn anything yeah. from that. And I the think o- I'm trying to sterilize my brain from it. You just you because are of the ego, and because, like I said at the beginning of the episode, of how like just gross. I think the whole thing kind of went. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's certainly why I'm just trying to just be like, that's if it if it was another way that it didn't work out, then I probably wouldn't feel like I needed to sterilize. But maybe I would always try to sterilize because it's the act of something failing for me. Well, you know, and, and we're never the same person from from moment to moment. We're no, that's never, very true. We're not very. the same person. So the person that you knew was never the same person for years and years and years. That person was, was growing, shifting, atrophying in certain ways. Certainly. But, you know, at at the end of it, at the, at the, at the precipice of like saying goodbye or peace out on that shit, holding on to things like disgust, which, you know, Again, this last woman that I was involved with loved her to death. Still love her. You know, I I still, the the last two women that I have had long-term relationships with can say I still love them. Like I still adore those women because they, they had beautiful elements to them. And there were shining moments where I saw them be their best self, where I saw them, I knew that they were putting their best foot forward. And I acknowledged it. And there are even times where I can look back on things where I was imperfect when I knew that they were trying their fucking best and, and I was imperfect and I didn't interpret things correctly. Mm-hmm. So, it, so again, to me, a, a, a relationship completed devoid, devoid of ongoing, like excessive maltreatment, things like that. Devoid of, you know, that kind of shit. Moving forward with a completed relationship, even if it ended in some disgust or, you know, betrayal, any kind of things like that, you take the good parts, the shining elements where you were your best, she was her best, and you tuck that shit in your fucking lapel and you go on. Mm. That's a good way to complete this episode, not to... That's a total play on words. Um, I certainly hope to be able to uh, get to that point. I will not be at that point where I'll say, oh, I love them because I don't. Um, but no, no. Um, and, 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 you know, yeah. like and again, I, I and, and it's nothing against, you know, again, I've had three long term relationships, but I did. I wasn't really in love with, you know, I can acknowledge that I really wasn't in love and that wasn't a fair thing. Sure. Sure. And I was was treated poorly, so I don't reflect on that that other one and be like, you know, I adore her, and she ain't really do no foul shit for real. Mm-hmm. But these last two, like with me, I, I can't help but be like, yes, 
adore that little woman, would do anything for her, but mm-hmm. I know she's bad for my health. Yeah, yeah. That's a good spot to stop, man. I really appreciate you both, uh, you know, putting me through the grinder, giving me some good tips, good advice, all that kind of stuff. I think I have certainly learned a lot. Um, I'm going to be taking that to my next session. Um, But for you guys listening, you know, there's so much that we do when it comes to cognitive distortions. I hope that you can see all the different examples that we gave there, all the different ways that you can really take your reality and warp it into a way that can shield or blind you. Um, And I really hope that you all took the time to listen and and understand the things that we were talking about and understand that it's um, that we all do this in some way, shape or form. So if you do have a story of something like that that you uh, that you were doing, I'd love for you to reach out and just help us and make some content together. Um, I've got I'm getting my list together of people that I want to have for our FYFT series. Um, If you don't know what that is, that stands for find your fucking thing. And these are more personal stories that I do with uh, listeners and they essentially talk about what got them to where they are right now. And uh, those are some of my favorite stories because they're very raw and they're very intense and we talk about all kinds of things. And so if that is something that also interests you, I would love for you guys to be able to reach out. So hit us up on social. Uh, just type in the Salumas podcast on Facebook, on Instagram. It's at the Salumas podcast. Go to our website. It's www.thesalumas.com at slash podcast. If you want to listen to any of the episodes right there, we're on iTunes, Spotify, and of course you can stream from the web. So thank you guys for your time. Thank you guys for your attention. And I think that's good. That's a good spot to wrap it up guys. So with that, and just so you know, I'll do the announcements at the beginning of the episode. So I'll handle everything right there. So we are out. Peace. Goodbye. Ha, 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 ha.